Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, if words were knives, how much blood would be on the floor? How many wounds would we be carrying in our bodies? And how many of them would have been inflicted by you or by me? Why do we hurt others? We hurt others because things are not well with us. We are afraid, afraid of not getting our way, and fear leads to anger, anger that things aren't the way that we think they should be, that people won't think and act what we think they should think and do. And anger drives us, it can drive us to the point where we, we can't stand the sight of someone, we can't stand the sound of their voice, and so we lash out. We lash out with those things that the confession describes as the root of murder, envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge. If that person will not act and think and say what we want them to do and think and say, we would rather not be around them. We would rather that they wouldn't be around anymore. And as far as we're concerned, let them disappear from our lives. That's what happened with the first murder. That sin started in Cain's soul. It started with him being really bothered about his brother. And it grew from there until the blood was spilled on the ground. In the sixth commandment, God comes to us with the good news. The good news which proclaims freedom from envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge. The sixth commandment brings to us the gospel of freedom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the freedom to hate death, to hate sin, and to love life, and to love our brother and sister. And that's the gospel. That's the promise of the gospel held out to us in the sixth commandment. And you would think that it's an easy promise to grab onto and to hold onto and to live by. But it's not. It's hard. It's hard to swallow. It's hard to embrace. I'm going to be working a little bit for the next moments in James chapter 4. And if you follow along in your Bible, it will be a lot easier for you to understand the things I'm saying. James chapter 4, that's on page 1012 of your pew Bible. James has just mentioned in chapter 3 how what we say can be so powerful from the same mouth that comes praise and glory to God come cruel and nasty, cursing words against each other. And then James moves on in chapter 4 to describe the consequences of godless communication. 
what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? What causes conflicts in the church of God? He continues in verse 2, well, you, you don't get what you want. We don't get our desires. And so James says to the church, he says, so you murder. Now, the congregation were not at each other with hammers and knives. But James is using the word murder here in the way that the catechism also uses it. All the, the roots of murder are present in the congregation. There is envy, there's hatred, there's anger, there's desire of revenge. And so even our prayers become unholy. Look at verse 3. Because you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Instead of praying for the peace of Jerusalem, instead of praying out of love for my brother and sister, I'm praying, God, let me have my way. God, let me be right. God, let other people align themselves with my priorities and submit to my thinking. And this is the way of the world. This is the way of the kingdom of darkness. It's what was described in 1 John chapter 3. We read it together. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This kind of hatred and conflict in the church of God is blasphemy and denial of the gospel itself. And James continues after having said there in, in verse 4, don't you understand that this is the way the world is? And living this way is being friends with the world, and it's setting yourself against God to choose to, to, to love hatred and is to choose to love death and to set yourself against God and life and, and love. And then he continues in verse 5. What does God see? When God looks upon his holy temple, his spirit-filled body, uh, tearing at one another, is this not blasphemy? Does this not call for a great humbling of ourselves? And he says that in verse 6. He says, you know what has to happen? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We need to be asking ourselves, what have I said or done to hurt other people? How do I refer to other believers who are on the other side of an issue? Because this puffing up and this despising of others for whom Christ died is despising Christ himself. And so what do you do? when there is strife in the holy body of the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you do when there is anger and the works of the flesh amongst the communion of saints? The answer is not in us. The apostle says, verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. It's when we all 
humble ourselves before the Lord. We don't try and fix it on our own, but we shut the door on the devil. We resist the devil so he flees and we seek the Lord. We draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to us. And as we all draw near to him, we draw near to each other. And we seek the cleansing blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We seek the powerful washing of the Spirit to take away those works of the flesh, to take away the hate and the anger out of our hearts, to sanctify the way we speak to one another, the way we speak about one another, the way we think of one another, the way we treat one another. So we seek that cleansing of our hands and that purification of our hearts, not by virtue of us fixing things, but by virtue of seeking that fountain of blood which pours forth from the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ and washes us clean from all of our iniquities. And when we do that, Look at verse 9. We do that with a deep sense of sadness. Be wretched, says James to the church. Mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. How can you be happy when the body of Christ is ripped apart and set one side against the other? Anyone who loves Jerusalem weeps when there is conflict within her walls. And so, instead of rejoicing about it, instead of thinking it's fine, we weep and we humble ourselves before the Lord. Oh God, lift us up. Oh God, save us. That's the solution for the believer. We can't fix this, Lord, but we we prostrate ourselves, we humble ourselves before you, knowing that you in your good time will exalt us. Then he continues in verse 11, in light of all of this, do not speak evil against one another. He comes back to the teaching of chapter 3, and he comes back to the root of what all the problems were in the church. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. And how we do speak evil. How we can make lists of some of the ways that we refer to other believers who are on the opposite side of some issue. The mocking labels, the disdain, the judgmental conclusions that we share with our side about people on the other side. You know, sometimes we're even right. Sometimes what we think is actually right, but our goal is not unity in love and in the worship of God. Our goal is not understanding and mutual encouragement, but we are driven by anger. The other side doesn't conform to my understanding. And so when we do that, when we speak evil of one another, and we speak evil against the law, and we judge the law. Now, how does that work? Why does, why does the apostle say that? That he who speaks evil against his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Well, what is the law? The law is love. That's the law. 
That sums up the entire law. Love. Love God. Love your neighbor. And if we don't love our brother, says the scripture, we don't love God. Hate cuts us off from God. Hate cuts us off from life. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so to despise and, and hate my brother or sister is to deny the gospel. It is to deny who Christ is and what Christ has done. It is to shut myself off from the very meaning of the gospel. To, to despise, to hate my brother or sister is to set myself up in judgment over the very law of God because the law of God, God says to me in the law, love your brother. And I say, no, I'm not going to love my brother. I know better. That person isn't worth loving. They're just worth accusing and condemning and gossiping about and slandering and labeling and speaking ill of. And when we do that, we judge not only the law, but we judge the gospel. The law says, love your brother, love your sister. The gospel says, Jesus died for your brother, for your sister. Each member of the body sealed with the mark of God's eternal love in Christ upon our foreheads. Each member of the body acceptable before God in Jesus Christ. Each member of the body beloved and welcome in the family of God. So when we, when we have that root of murder in our hearts against a brother or sister, we deny not only the law, we don't need to judge the law, but we deny the gospel. What would happen if your body, your body parts started fighting each other? You know you're in trouble when your kidneys start fighting against your liver and your different members start fighting against one another. You're in major trouble. And it's the same in the body of Christ. When the body parts start fighting each other, when the members start fighting each other, and then something is terribly wrong. Because in the body of Christ, it ought to be the opposite, right? There ought to be love and mutual respect and harmony. There ought to be patience and peace and gentleness and mercy and friendliness and mutual care and protection. That's how we treat one another in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how we're called to treat ourselves. And that comes back to what I said at the beginning. We often hurt others because things are not well with us. There's something wrong in our souls, and that's where the devil likes to start. The devil likes to agitate against that command of God to love our neighbor as ourself, and so he, he likes to work on us so that in a way we're not well with ourselves. We look in the mirror and we hate what we see. We hate the way we look. We hate our body. We hate who we are. We hate the life we have. We feel guilt and a burden of guilt from things we've done in the past that haven't been dealt with. We feel inferior compared to others. And there's all kinds of things that the devil throws into that pot and mixes around and stirs up to get a great, wonderful mass of envy and hatred and anger just seething away. And then he, he leverages that 
and directs that hatred outwards towards others. That's what the devil wants. He wants us to be stuck in that, that, that hurt and that brokenness which leads to death. But that's not what the Lord Jesus Christ wants for us. The Lord Jesus Christ has set us free. He has set us free from hate. He has set us free from our addiction to brokenness and death. He has set us free to love. He has set us free to to love him and to love who we are in him and to love our brother and our sister, who they are in him. That's how we look at each other. We don't look at each other and all of our failures and all of our not quite matching up. But we look at each other in the Lord Jesus Christ. We look at each other as God looks upon us, thank God, through the blood of the covenant, through the cross, and through the Christ. And when we look at one another in love, when we look at one another in Christ, then we love each other in him. And we love loving. And we love living together in the presence of God and in worship for God. We love life. And that carries over into how we treat other people, even people who hate us, even people who mistreat us, even people who make themselves our, our, uh, our enemies. They try to kill us with words. They try to kill us with actions. But we are God's people and we kill them with love. Our entire goal for those who would attack us and abuse us and mistreat us, whoever they are, our entire goal is to love them and love them and love them so that their old them would die and their new them would come to life in Jesus Christ. That's what we desire. Not anger, not hatred, not envy, not desire revenge but that they would know the Lord Jesus Christ and be set free from their hatred and their love of death. Now, we know how pernicious and how deep-seated hatred and anger and murder are in the human heart. We're going to be singing Psalm 36 after the sermon, and it speaks about that. Deep in my heart, I know the voice that lures the wicked to his choice of sin and self-delusion. That's what we are outside of Christ. We know that. We know that deep-seated hate and anger in the human heart because we are humans and we have human hearts. And we see it. We see it and identify it in those remnants of the old nature which still remain within us. And we identify it and we call it out in ourselves and we reject it. That's where we start, brothers and sisters. We don't call it out in other people. We call it out in our own hearts first. And in Christ, we hate, hate. We hate death. And we refuse to gulp down the bitter vinegar of hatred. We will not go there. We will not plunge into that abyss. We will not give it a foothold in our lives, in our thoughts, in our hearts, in our conversations, in our families, in our social contacts and and conversations. We're going to leave it all 
all that hate and anger and bitterness and vengefulness and judgment, we leave it all on Golgotha. We leave it all on Christ hanging there as the very incarnation of sin itself. That's where we leave it, nailed to the cross. The sixth commandment gives us freedom. Freedom to look up. Up to what we're going to sing about in a minute, up to those heights of heaven above and the the Lord's faithfulness and the Lord's love. The sixth commandment gives us freedom to love, love, to love life, to drink from the rivers of delight as we cherish God's precious love in Christ. That love has overcome the world. That love is better than life itself. That love has dealt the death blow to sin. That love has redeemed a people for God. That love has made us children of God. That love has cleansed our hands and purified our hearts. That love defines who we are as a community of believers. That love transforms our thoughts, words, acts, and attitudes. That love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. That love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. That love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Nothing can separate us from that love. That love will finally bring us into the presence of the Father, to know him, To love him, that is life eternal. And that is life indeed. Amen.